It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you so Let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Welcome to Profiles. I'm Gina Asher. Profiles is a weekly program that introduces members of our community, as well as notable visiting guests, artists, scholars, and entertainers, to the WFIU audience. Our guest today is David Newell, known to generations of PBS viewers as Mr. McFeely from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the daily show featuring the cardigan-clad Fred Rogers and his gentle style of educating and entertaining young children. The show ended in 2001, Fred Rogers died in 2003, and now many affiliates show reruns of the show to a brand new audience. Many episodes are still online. But Newell continues to visit communities as Mr. McFeely, a staple on the show and a character he's embodied for more than 40 years. Welcome, David Newell. Thank you. Speedy to Regina. <laughs> <laughs> I am looking at a nice gentleman dressed not as Mr. McFeely, no. so I'm, I appreciate hearing speedy delivery. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I Also, I saw you this morning uh-huh. at our local library where you were entertaining and talking to children. Um, many in uniform, I might right. add, the hat, mm-hmm. the uniform, the boots. Mm-hmm. You also had a few friends with you in a bag, some puppets. Yes. Uh, and a whole generation of children, preschoolers about four, who probably may not have been familiar with Mr. McFeely, but their parents, the librarians, and the teachers in the crowd certainly were. You had everyone singing along with you. And they knew all the music. <laughs> they did. They did. So how would you describe Mr. McFeely to some listeners who might be out there who somehow missed the cultural phenomenon that was Fred Rogers? Well, let's see. Mr. McFeely's always in a hurry, and over the years— he has slowed down somewhat, but he's always briskly running around the neighborhood making deliveries. And in a way, I would describe it. Fred Rogers, they probably know Fred. His style was very laid back and very conversational and to the audience, a very personal relationship with his television audience. And Mr. McFeely would bustle in and make deliveries, got to leave, got to leave, very busy. And in a way, Fred did that on purpose. It was sort of in music, I think they call the term contrapunctual, where one fast goes against slow or something like that. I'm not a musician, but that's my sort of description of Mr. McFeely that he – and he gave – he was a lesson too. He would – Fred would write the scripts, wrote all the scripts and – as a lesson, Mr. McFeely would be in a hurry that day. And Fred would say, oh, Mr. McFeely, why don't you uh, slow down and take your time and stay a little bit and, and we'll talk or do something. And that was a lesson for children. You, you know, you'll when you take your time, you'll do things right. All that Fred did within his writing of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood were lessons, life lessons for children. And mm-hmm. I think Mr. McFeely sort of embodied that. That I was that end of it. But over the years, uh, I did slow down. He had me slowing <laughs> down. And there was a – Mrs. McFeely would appear occasionally and grandchildren. It was quite uh, an experience to work all those many years making programs that that really helped families. Can I tell you one little story that happened this Certainly. morning? There was a, a woman this morning by the name of Heather. And she washed when she was growing up. She must have been in her mid-20s now. And – She's an artist, but she said, you know, I think I appreciated art by the crayons that Mr. Rogers went to a factory to show children how crayons were made because 
all children, everybody has had contact with crayon sometime in their life. And she said, you know, somewhere I I picked that up and, and learned that, and that's why I think I'm an artist these today. You don't know what's going to be a lesson. You, you don't know. You're right, absolutely right. And I think that was Fred's uh, – one of his theories too. Yes. You've been with Fred Rogers in the show since its beginnings mm-hmm. in 1967. Right. And the story of your involvement with Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood really kind of parallels the evolution of the show itself. Uh-huh. You, you both started at the same time. Tell us how you got involved and what those early days were like. Well, I got involved – well, Fred had been in television since 1954 at WQED, which is the public station in Pittsburgh, the first one in the country. He started it. He left New York City working at NBC to take a job at a television station that wasn't even on the air yet in 1953. And I was watching at that point. (laughs) To make a long story short, he started a program called The Children's Corner. That went off the air and he went to Canada to start Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Somebody had seen him and invited him to uh, Canada, and that's where the neighborhood began. He brought it back to Pittsburgh. It went national, and that's when I began in 1967. So it was a, a process. But those early days, the first year was black and white. We did the program in black and white. There were about five people on the staff, Fred, who wrote everything, 130 programs. I was in charge not only of being Mr. McFeely, but also in charge of all the props and costumes. So when small I Small operation. Small <laughs> operation. And there was a woman who was doing film at the time, before tape, before you used to do these remotes on film, and a director. And then we would hire the, the QED staff to, to, to be our crew. But we were a small operation. And those beginning days were just wonderful. I mean, the whole 40 years was wonderful. But those pioneering days of not knowing, you know, public television was just in infancy, really. And we had a, an appearance at, uh, in Boston one of the first public appearances at the station in Boston called WGBH. And they said, oh, you know, we'll have an open house and we'll we'll get 500 of this or giveaways. Well, as it turned out, 5,000 people showed up around the block. They were lined up. And this was was pre-Sesame Street too. It was the early days of public television. And they had no idea who was watching. And and that was the station that uh, developed Julia Child. And it was a wonderful time of being in television. It, it was so exciting. And you really, at least I did, I felt that here we're doing something with some worth. That the, the children and families are really benefiting from this program. We're, we're not just doing hosting old Western movies or something. I hate to sound like the job interviewer, uh-huh. but what were your qualifications for for being hired by Fred Rogers. Well, I con- concurrently with being on the floor crew of WQED, I wanted to get some experience in what they call television at that point. <laughs> but I was working at a theater, a local theater, and that's my background. Uh, it was the Pittsburgh Playhouse, and I went to school uh, at the University of Pittsburgh, majored in theater and uh, English lit. And at the Pittsburgh Playhouse, we had matinees of children's programs on the weekend, children's plays, Cinderella, all that type, the standards. And I was the host as a clown. I was Bimbo the Clown, <laughs> which you couldn't – today, I don't know if you could you could use that name, Bimbo, but, <laughs> but I was Bimbo the Clown who would meet the children as they were coming to the theater and introduce whatever play we were doing and be at intermission and say goodbye to them at the end. And I love that, not – so much as being – I wasn't your typical circus clown with seltzer water and I was me in a clown costume trying to be not scary. Right. Because that's clown scare. Yes. Children. Yes. But my love for theater I think transferred to them and I wanted to get more people into the theater, especially children, coming in to see live plays with and – the, and the plays were done with professional actors. These weren't just – kids getting together. They had staff actors at the theater and the students would supplement uh, some of the parts. But I was always the 
the clown. I guess that's my qualifications in that a mutual friend remembered all of that and recommended me to Fred, and he hired me. I was the last he interviewed, and he hired me. So he hired you to be Mr. McFeely he, he, and, he was, and wear some other hats too, he, being a small The operation. other hats came first and then oh, McFeely. I see. But yes, I was being interviewed for the job of production coordinator and I had to go out. If Fred wanted uh, 15 hula hoops to show, I would find them. Or So I had to get the props and the costumes coordinated and make sure they were there and everything was there and Fred liked that. And he said, you know, I also want you to do this part of the delivery man. I know that you, you, your background's in a theater. And so I've written a part in called Mr. McCurdy. Oh. That was the, this is a little trivia for yes, you. Yes, it is. Uh, it was Mr. McCurdy. And Mr. McCurdy just happened to be the president of Sears Roebuck's Foundation at the time who gave us money to start – some money to, to underwrite the program. And Fred was saying thank you to uh, Mr. McCurdy through using his name. Well, it was 20 minutes before we started the first taping and the phone rang from Sears, Roebuck at the time. And they said, everything's fine. We're calling. We love the scripts, et cetera, et cetera. But don't call delivery man, Mr. McCurdy, it seems a little too self-serving, et cetera. So Fred said, well, we've got, we're, we're taping in 15 minutes now. We've got to get your name. He said, I know, McFeely. That's his grandfather's name and his middle name. So here I am, Mr. McFeely, speedy delivery. <laughs> well, and how did the character develop? Did he write the character? Have you yeah. had a lot of input in how yeah. he's evolved? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, as we moved on, I did. He he developed the character as Mr. McCurdy, the delivery man. It was just to open the show, you know, open it up with more characters mm-hmm. and so forth. And he did. Up to that point, there was a regional version of Mr. Rogers. He would bring the prop in. He would bring in, and here's what I have. But McFeely would deliver it. He he liked the gimmick of knock on the door. Oh, it's Mr. McFeely, and I became a a, a, a staple on the program. Well, and as you said, you sort of counterbalanced yes. his personality. Exactly. And, and was was Mr. McFeely always in a hurry from the beginning? Very beginning. Okay. <laughs> oh, I, I, the first show I have seen. It. <laughs> in fact, you can get a copies of it. I did see one earlier. <laughs> he is manic. He is manic. <laughs> and that calmed down after a while. But, you know, the calming down came because on television, if that were on the stage, it wouldn't be quite as manic. In, but on television, you have to tone things down in a movie somewhat. So it was my theatrical experience I, I think I was working with. But as we went on, we, we toned it down. We all want to know some insider stories okay. about Mr. Rogers. He, he was always calm and soothing. Uh-huh. And he addressed a lot of different issues. He did. But we want to know, did he ever get angry and he talked about anger on the show. Oh. So um, tell us a little about how his TV persona was like or not like his Well, his, his TV persona was Fred Rogers. The, it was a little heightened because he was talking to children. Mm-hmm. Very, or maybe slowed down a little. Yeah, he did. But if you had met him in person, you would get the same feeling. He knew exactly how to talk to that age group and would, would address it and his his – deliberateness would be because he knew that age. Three- and four-year-old need that pace. They don't need a frantic pace. They need to – but Fred did get angry. And here's what happened. He's a musician, a pianist, and a composer. And you can tell Fred was upset when he would walk over to the piano, which was in the studio, and sit down and start playing it. It wouldn't talk to – it just – be very intently playing the piano. You could tell he was working. He would say his anger was modulated and his anger would come out through his fingers on the piano. But it's exactly what he's dealing with on television when he talks about angry feelings. He's doing exactly what he wants children to emulate. You know, you don't hit somebody when you're angry. You find something alternative, alternative ways of expressing your anger, punching a a bag or going fast with the truck or running or getting your energy out. And that's exactly what Fred did. So he really 
was Fred Rogers on, on uh, off camera and on camera. And that influenced you as well, I imagine, after seeing you today <clears throat> with the 40 or so preschoolers in the uh-huh. audience at the library. Uh, I could I could see some Fred Rogers, a yeah, very yeah. deliberate and slow and peaceful yes. way yes. of interacting. It, it didn't. I think that was partly in my background too. But working with Fred, it was it's, it's like getting a doctorate degree. <laughs> I don't have it, but he he did in child development. And here's a story for you that would give you sort of his mission. We have a woman who works still works with us. Her name is Hedda Sherapin, and. After she graduated from college, her undergrad work, she came, I think it was in English, she came to meet Fred and wanted to get into children's television. And uh, she met with him and he said, you know, if I were you, I would go to the University of Pittsburgh and take their child development course as a master's degree and then come and talk to me. He said, you should know children before you start writing and working with them. If you're really serious about working with children on a daily basis or something that you're doing with children, designed for them, you should know how they operate. And Hedda said, okay, thank you very much. He probably thought to never see her again. Two years later, she graduated and came back after she'd gone to Pitt Got and Fred hired her, and she still we work together daily. How long has that been? Then? That's been forty years too. She oh was, she's been there a year before I got there, so that's how long it's been. And but Fred's background, in case your listeners don't know, is the undergrad was in music, composition, and piano, and then he went to NBC in New York City and was a floor manager on the, all the music shows back in the fifties, Hit Parade and. Voice of Firestone and the NBC Opera Theater. Your listeners may not even know they existed, but now they're all on public television now. But he was the floor manager and heard of this new station going on the air, WQED, and came there and was the first program manager. Concurrently with that, he created the Children's Corner. Concurrently with that, he went to a seminary and it was ordained a they said, before you graduate, you must work with this with Margaret McFarlane, who was at the Arsenal Child Development Center. And he worked there for, for two years and studied. All this was wrapped together as he was making programs at the Children's Corner. I don't know if this all makes sense to your listeners. Well, it sounds like a very um, overachiever personality yeah. to handle all of that. I think Fred was that, but he, he had a drive. Uh-huh. But his drive was for children. It was really – he was dedicated. It was not a drive to be famous, to be an actor, to be – that's the last thing he thought about. He didn't like being recognized on the street. That's not his goal. His goal was to help children through television. And he did that. But as a result, he became a household word and so you had to deal with that too. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor. That's what people never saw of Fred, I don't think. You know, they saw the serious, uh, but they never saw his sense of humor. He had a wonderful sense of humor, very wacky, very whimsical, I guess. And and uh, he, he was such a good audience. You know, he would – he enjoyed people's stories. You would go into his office to ask him a question and he'd be right with you. It wasn't – he wouldn't be, oh, yeah, yeah, do that, do this, look around the room. He was right with you. That's very much how he was on the air. Yeah, he looked yes. right at the camera, exactly. right at the children at home, mm-hmm. addressing them, talking yes. to them. And 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 uh, it really was a converse, not a conversation. He never wanted children to think that they that he could see them, you know, or or that he never addressed them that way. He never said, "Oh, I see Jimmy out there." I see, never did that. He wanted them to know it was a, a picture. But he always said the space between the television screen and the audience at home is holy ground. And you've got to realize that and program accordingly. I'm not saying it's religious. I'm saying it's holy ground in quotes. Mm-hmm. And what goes between the viewer and the, the, the TV, the camera, is very important. And you really need to make it that way. He would that was a, a that was always something he would say when he made speeches. He didn't say that that example each time, but he would 
he always stressed how what a duty a producer has for when you're producing something, especially for children. Not and to take it lightly. Not to take it lightly. Even when you are having fun. Exactly. Not to take it lightly and to respect your audience. And he did. And I think in some ways children could see that. They could get that he respected childhood and children. They couldn't articulate that, but I think in some ways that came through. And I think that was because he saw that holy ground there. The show also had some wonderful uh, guest stars oh, who, yes. who supplemented this very thing you're saying, uh-huh. uh, who came on and either stayed in character, whatever that was, or didn't. And I'm thinking here of Margaret Hamilton. Oh, yes. Oh, boy. that uh, That's a story in itself. You know, uh, one day we were driving somewhere, and I kept saying these little stories about Wizard of Oz. They showed it every year at that time. And people had been interviewed about it, especially when it was coming on. Again, people, they'd interview it in PR. They said, uh, people would say, oh, oh, I'm still, I'm an adult, and I'm still afraid of that witch and the monkeys. And I said, Fred, you know what we should do? And, and kids are afraid of Halloween witches, too. We should talk about it, de- demystify it. And so... He said, well, if you can locate her, go ahead. And I did. And her name's Margaret Hamilton. She's an actress and Wizard of Oz witch, uh, plus thousands of other movies. But she came on the program and, and came as a civilian but had the costume and showed the hat and the cape and said, you know, this is my job. One time I was – I pretended I was a witch, but I'm not uh, a bad person. I, I, I don't mean to scare people. And then she went to the neighborhood of make-believe as the witch, and they worked the story out. But a lot of people said it helped them. It helped them not only for that particular witch in the movie, but also at Halloween time. Kids are afraid of scary costumes, and witches are one of them. And it helped. It goes back to an earlier question of yours. You were saying, did I ever get involved in that? And that was my idea, and I suggested that to Fred. And he said, well, you find her, and we'll, we'll take it from there. And so we went to Russia, too, to to visit his counterpart. Oh, really? Uh, this was pre-Glasnost. And uh, I heard it on, on uh, Nightline. They were doing an overview of Russian television. This was back in the mid-'80s. And to make a long story short, they said, here's a news program, here's sports. Now, here's a children's program. The best way we can describe it to you, it's like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And I thought, aha, <laughs> why don't we – do our own glasnos and, and go to, to Russia and invite her here, and we did. And Fred, she couldn't speak English. Fred couldn't speak Russian, but he learned when she be my neighbor in phonetically in Russian and, and sang it on the program. And she came. There was a translator. And that was my idea too. I told, And we did the, the trip. And the week, there was a whole week that we devoted to the trip or maybe a good part of that week. But what I was thinking, and I think Fred too, I said, at the time, there was always this Cold War going on. And I said, well, if countries can't get along, but the people can, let's start with that. Let's just show children that people in different countries may speak a different language, but they can get along on the, on the, the daily basis. And then somewhere there's a lesson there. You know, it's not going to change the world. But let's start somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. many of the episodes had that as the the message. It's yes, a start, small message, but it's a beginning. Start somewhere, yes, mm-hmm. and so we'll take a break now. We're talking with David Newell, known to generations as Mister McFeely from the Mister Rogers Neighborhood Show, who still travels the country as his character to keep the essence of Fred Rogers alive. You've chosen Johnny Costa performing Skylark to take us to break. Tell us about that choice. Well, it's there's a lot of connections. As you well know, Hoagy Carmichael went to school. At Bloomington the, native. Bloomington native, went to school here. There's a music school that uh, his, I think, estate gives money to or built the building. His son worked for us, Hoagy Bix Carmichael. We became good friends. Fred did a, a program called Old Friends, New Friends. It was an interview program. And Fred interviewed the Carmichaels. Johnny Costa was our musical director for those many years. He's the one you hear in the piano in the background. Hoagie wrote Skylark. 
all that works together. Johnny's playing it. We all knew Hoagie. Hoagie's from Bloomington. That's why I chose it. talking with David Newell, who played Mr. McFeely on the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Show on PBS, and now is involved in a new venture, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, a show that features some characters from the old show and is aimed at preschoolers. It debuts on PBS this fall. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Tell us a little about the new show. How much will it be like or different from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? And, of course, will Mr. McFeely appear? It will be... uh based, inspired by Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, Daniel Tiger has a son now, and it's Daniel Jr. They don't call him, but he's the host, and he puts sneakers on and puts a sweater on and gets on the trolley and goes to the neighborhood of make-believe. It's animated, and most of the characters are from the neighborhood. There are a few new characters, but there's X the Owl, but he has a son now who's O the Owl, and it's the second generation in a way. And that's the basis of it. And, but the stories, there are two 11-minute stories interspersed with a video about what's in the story. For instance, one of the stories I remember is being there were coloring, something to do with art. So the interstitial, as they call them, is live action, and it's a visit to the crayon factory that relates to what the stories are. I think the best way to describe it overall is it's carrying on Fred Rogers' legacy. And it's something our goal was to create something that Fred would appreciate. He may not do everything that way, but something he would like. And that's the best you can do. And it's really to honor Honor Fred. And no, yes, as you, as you said, it'll be on this fall. Uh, specifically, uh, it, it comes on Labor Day on public television. It'll be on daily. And at the same time, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, uh, as you said earlier, will be on some public stations on the weekends. But it's online, too. You've got Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood online. Occasionally, Mr. McFeely will be in the Animated version. Oh, uh, they're going to animate you. Yeah, it's, oh. everything's animation. Yes, I, I understood yeah, and, that oh, yes. part, but I thought you might come in in the middle. Uh, no. Uh, so it, have have you seen your animated I, alter ego, and uh, how does he stack up? I've seen one episode of that. He, he's not in every every mm-hmm. one. It's mainly the puppets. I haven't worked directly on the program, so I, I'm I'm mm-hmm. anxious to see the first week. I haven't. <laughs> I don't know if anybody in the office has seen every one of them. But uh, he looks similar, and I think the, his costume is the same bluish gray that mine is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, he, he'll be in it, and then there'll be uh, other people. Maybe a, a baker's in it. There's a baker, mm-hmm. uh, and we had a chef Brocket, but it's not really chef Brocket. It's it's again inspired by inspired yes. by. I guess that's yes. the word. It's inspired yeah. by. So the. Longtime fans will recognize familiar things, yes. and the kids brand new to this. They'll just grow into yes. it. And that's what we wanted. And we're in partnership with a, a company called Out of the Blue Productions, and the woman who, her name is Angela Samontero, and she 
helped create Blue's Clues. And now she does Super Why on public television, which is another children's show. And her company and our company, the Fred Rogers Company, are together producing this. And so it's a different day where Fred was the the leader and he's the one who had the last word. Now it's more of a uh, – Collaboration. Yes, that's a good word, a collaboration. What do you make of other TV offerings for children right now? Has Fred Rogers' legacy influenced other shows? What's What do you think the pulse of children's TV is today? I think it has uh, influenced – in fact, I know it has. Angela grew up with it. And Blue's Clues was was created because of her of her inspiration from watching Mr. Rogers, and I think a lot of programs have have uh, been inspired by Fred. He was a pioneer, and it's hard to duplicate. You that was sort of our blessing and curse. You can't really replace Fred, but at the same time, there was no one like him. It, it, he was unique. In all of television. In fact, TV Guide one time did an issue on the 50 most memorable or most inspirational television personalities. And, of course, Lucy was one. And But Fred was one of them. And I think he was the only one involved in children's television because his, his persona – it's not even a persona. It's Fred. It's who he was. He is so dominant and so strong. But at the same time, the reason it is dumb and strong is that's who he is. And that inspiration came right out to kids. So in a way, going back to your good word, inspiration is perfect. Are there other shows, though, that are out there today that maybe aren't directly inspired but are doing a good job? Oh, do yes. you Do you actually watch yeah. other children's oh, I do. programming? I, th- I think Superwise is a, g- a good program, and that's be- not because Angela is doing it, but it's a very good program. I think anything you see on public television for children is a positive. I think Sesame Street, you know, they have uh, come up with the times. It's the same format of sorts, but the, they have an Elmo's world at the end of it now, which is different than they used to do. It's not as segmented as it was. And I think some of that came from Fred. Mm-hmm. Joan Gans Cooney, who was the actual founder of it, creator of it way back, and she was interviewed about Fred one time. She said, uh, you give me a good hour and a half and I'll give you two of the best programs on television, Sesame and Mr. Rogers. And they usually in the days that they ran them back to back. And it was a wonderful combination. And I think they're the two iconic programs of public television. now, But my granddaughter loves uh, the monkey, Curious George. Oh, yes. She loved that. Another old character. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're right because it's because it's based on books. And I, I think it has a – it's pre-sold because uh, adults know it from reading the books. And, and, and that's a very good program for – it's very sweet for younger children. Now she likes Dora too, which is – I shouldn't mention that because it's on another station. <laughs> but she likes Dora, which she's a girl and she identifies. Mm-hmm. And that's good, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So there – and you know, it's it's on some stations now. It's reruns. But uh, Bill Cosby had a, a – Little Bill, I think it was called. That was a very good show. You know, one of Fred's last appearance was in the uh, – the New Year's Parade. Rose Bowl. Yes. He, Bill Cosby, and Art Linkletter were the three grand marshals, and they were all in this wow. big convertible, a big old-fashioned convertible together as the parade marshals. Fred wasn't feeling very well, and he and Bill Cosby got to know each other. Bill got him through it because they were standing, and Bill would say, you know, if you want to sit down, Fred, we'll all sit with you. And they got through it, and he tossed the nickel, that coin toss at the game, and that was his last appearance. But as a result of that, about four months later after Fred had died, Cosby had a few concerts, and over a lot of concerts, and he would open up. You'd walk into the theater, and on the there'd be a chair with a sweater over it and a spotlight on it. It was Bill Cosby's uh, tribute to Fred. And then he got a, an honorary Emmy, Bill Cosby, and he said, thank you, but I want to tell you about, and he he spent the last of his thank you talking about Fred. 
so it made a quite an impression, and they didn't meet till you know later in life, uh, you know, about four years before Fred passed away. But I guess my point is Fred's influence in how he resonated not only to the children but to other performers too. Uh, and Cosby got him, mm-hmm. you know, because he understood him. A lot of people didn't understand Fred at first. You know, it was not what people were used to. It wasn't a clown and selling cornflakes. You know, Fred mm-hmm. was very different, a pioneer, but had the guts to be play peekaboo on camera. And for adults, a lot of men wouldn't do that. A lot of people wouldn't do that. He was thinking about that child at home, that age child. And he did. I guess it's a corny, cliche statement, but he practiced what he preached. Mm -hmm. He really did. And he was a very kind man. And his wife always said, as you did, what's Fred like off camera? And she said, what you see is what you get. She always used that phrase, and that's true. He was very capable of talking to adults. In fact, his Mm -hmm. speeches, he he did 40 commencement speeches. did one in Indianapolis. Uh, I was with him. There was an Indianapolis University. I don't know if it's called that. University of Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Okay, he got Mm -hmm. one from there. Mm -hmm. I remember being – his last one was Dartmouth. And it was quite something to see the college kids who were four and five again. And they weren't, you know, how college kids can be, especially on graduation day. A little jaded, maybe. Yeah, a little jaded, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But they, they, they weren't. Occasionally, you would get some. Well, why are we having Mister Rogers? But generally speaking, in fact, one letter came in that somebody said, "Why are we having Mister Rogers? Uh, why don't we have so and so, whoever it was?" And Fred, when he went to this school, and I can't remember what school it was, he wanted to meet with that person, and t- he did. And talked with him and wanted to find out just what was making that person tick. <laughs> That's who he was. And he also – he did roll along with the times as far as yeah. topic and mm-hmm. and some of the issues he addressed and the, oh, yes. the, the way TV itself changed. Yes. And I hate to use the cliché kids today, uh-huh. but kids today – have a lot of activities clamoring for their time and their attention, uh-huh. much more than the 60s and the 70s. There's TV itself has hundreds of channels. Uh-huh. The Internet offers lots of outlets. Uh-huh. How do you see programs like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and now Daniel Tiger's uh-huh. Neighborhood competing with or maybe enhancing the material kids get from all these different outlets? I think maybe enhancing is the, the better word. There, There is competition today. It's not as easy to get – I think producers have this problem. There are, what, 500 stations that people can watch as opposed when we were – there were five or six. Fred always said, you know, I wonder if I walked into a producer's office for a network with Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, would I even get it on these days because of, of the pace and the look? But a lot of people, that would stop them, the pace and the look. They didn't see beyond the content and the depth that the program had. And that's where I think a lot of producers might goof up, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Pass something up like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and you've really deprived your audience. And I know that uh, things move faster today and children are used to the faster pace and maybe watching Mr. Rogers doesn't grab them anymore. But I think the age is designed for, as is Daniel Tiger, it's designed for that age. And I think it gets them interested. Uh, I, I swear that if you would put it on television, that age group would watch it. I think parents have a lot to do with it too You know, because there's so much competition. So it's, it's a complicated uh, – uh, Situation, I think, was much simpler back in the 50s and 60s. Well, we can add, though, that even if you're in a non-TV home that's streaming all your entertainment Mm -hmm. on a computer, you can still access Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and other – You can. And that's that's a good point. I didn't didn't think of that because you can be your own program manager Mm -hmm. now, whereas before it was destination. At 5 o'clock, if you didn't see the program, you missed it. You couldn't tape it. 
So viewing television has changed greatly. You know, and Fred would say uh, interview shows. He said, you know, a lot. I think a lot of people watch interview shows. This is adult shows and adults watching interview shows. Maybe learn conversation from watching two other people talk. Maybe this watching Dick Cavett interview somebody or, or Charlie Rose interview somebody, they learn from that. I, I don't know. It's, it's a model. It's a model. Right. That's very good. Very good. <laughs> You're still involved with the Fred Rogers Company, mm-hmm. and I believe you're Director of Public Relations. Yes, uh, that's my my title. I do a lot of public relations. Now, with the new program coming out, we have to have a lot of help. So we have agencies now. So my involvement with the company is more with uh, keeping the legacy going. And what I didn't mention was the Fred Rogers Center. That's a different – we're the Fred Rogers Company, the production company. There's the Fred Rogers Center, which is on the campus of St. Vincent's University in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, Fred's hometown, where they built a five-story building called the Fred Rogers Center. And that's where all the archives are, the tapes, the – a lot of the props, the puppets, the – everything, the sweater, the sneakers, everything. And it's also a place where conferences could be held about children. Every other year they have a conference called Fred Forward, not just about Fred but named in his honor talking about children and what's good for kids coming up, not just television but what's good for children and families. So it's all – and Fred, again, is the inspiration. Mm -hmm. But I enjoy going out and meeting people. And that's what I, I like. And I enjoy meeting the parents and getting all the stories. I wish I had a microphone that you could take and record all of the stories that uh, they tell you. So you do travel around the country as Mr. McFeely, kind of a one-man uh, band who's keeping the, the Rogers legacy alive. But you've also done many other things as Mr. McFeely and slash uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh-huh. I saw a video of you uh, talking at a TEDx talk in Pittsburgh where you talked for about 20 minutes. You've addressed many commencement gatherings, visited hospitals. Uh You participated in a sweater drive. Oh, a lot of those. You are out there as Mr. McFeely all the time. What is driving you to do this? I think because I like it so much. I mean, I – I don't mind going to work every day. You know, I consider myself lucky because I would wake up in the morning for the past 40 years enjoying going to work, looking forward to it. And that's a rare thing that a lot of people can't say. A lot can. But I love what I'm doing and I love meeting people. I love talking to people like you who don't know all the ins and outs of the program. And I feel in some way, you know, we've worked at it for 40 years. All of us worked very hard. I'd like to keep that going and and keep the idea of of good programming for children you know if it could boil down to just that you know we need to provide good programming for young children our up and coming generations not now but you know 40 years from now and i i hope that somebody else will pick the ball up and 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 continue that on you know i'm not going to cure the world's ills with everything i do but you know again what you said earlier there's you start somewhere right and I have done many things, and I, so that's what keeps it going. Some actors often try to break out of these roles they've mm-hmm. created and they're indelibly identified with forever. Uh-huh. Uh, and you are permanently Mr. McFeely. Yeah, I guess I am. Have you ever wanted to explore other ways of acting, or did you just become such a part of Mr. Rogers that children's advocating for children's TV was more important? I is, think that's it. Is there it. still an actor in you? There is. There is. And occasionally I've done uh, – uh, Pittsburgh has been a very active film community recently and they've done a lot of – Batman was shot there or part of it. And I've been in a few made-for-TV movies playing uh, smaller parts and enjoy that. But I think what you said about uh, – it's become a part of me advocating for children and I think that's the answer. Advocating for for children and advocating for what we were doing, I, and I have a fondness and a and a belief in what Fred thought was good for children, and and, and it doesn't work for every child. You know, there are some kids who maybe weren't interested in the neighborhood. Oh, I know there were, and 
other programs. You know, you, we don't like every movie that's out there or television programs. That's the way children are. But I know it has good information and proper information, information age appropriate. I think that's – and a lot of kids' shows don't have that. For instance, uh, he always separates the program. He comes in, puts on his sweater and sneakers and talks to the kids. That's reality. But he separates that from the neighborhood of make-believe, which is fantasy, but then comes back to reality. He wants to separate fantasy and reality. A lot of shows will mix it all up. That was his concept because young children don't separate fantasy and reality. We did a thing on, on superheroes where kids would jump off roofs with a towel around and thinking they could fly and injure themselves. And we went to the, the, the set of Incredible Hulk when they were doing it and showed how they did the special effects and showed Lou Ferrigno getting into his green makeup and demystifying it and helped kids see that it was pretend. And again, the second part to all of that was – and when you're angry, you don't turn over cars or or knock down a wall or something. You know, he had super strength. Uh, you deal with it and work it out. And so it let Fred talk about many things, that superhero. So how long will you continue to use Mr. McFeely to take this message you just explained out there? Well, I can I can do it as Mr. McFeely or now I'm doing it more as David Newell who really? pl- who plays Mr. McFeely. I've been going to and this is very interesting, I think. It's the other end of the spectrum. I've been going to a lot of uh homes for the elderly and talking to them about Mr. Rogers because they watched with their children whose children watch Mr. Rogers. And they have these – a lot of them have lecture series and sometimes we'll have sweater drives and they'll collect sweaters and then we give them to charity. But I've been doing a lot of that and that's interesting. It's the other end of the spectrum. When you think of it – It is. It is. It is. And that's – so I've been doing a lot of David Newell just as me who played Mr. McFeely showing a clip because these are adults who who understand that. And I I do a lot of schools going to into the classrooms, which is fascinating. And not the preschool classes as much as the – and sometimes when I go to the preschool classes in the kindergartens, they just take me there. And the ones who are disappointed are not the first graders but the fourth and fifth graders. And they want – and it's fascinating to go in and, and find out because they know I'm in a costume. The first graders might not know. But it's fascinating to talk to them, find out what, what they like to watch on television. And one question they always ask is how much money do you make? <laughs> and and th- what do you tell them? I say, oh, I make enough to live on and to, to, to put my three children through college. I never give them a figure. It's been a very, a very good uh, living for me. Your work as Mr. McFeely even drew the attention of a documentarian. There's right. a documentary out there, I think made in 2008, called e- Speedy Delivery. That's right. That's right. How did that happen? Well, I was at a mall one day for an event in Pittsburgh. As Mr. McFeely. As Mr. McFeely. It was an opening of the mall, actually. And I was there because it was, at the time, PBS had... Uh, events at malls that they had a special PBS section in, in this mall. So I was there as part of that. And uh, this student, he was working on his doctorate or postdoctorate degree in filmmaking in Pittsburgh, CMU, Carnegie Mellon. And he came up to me and said, uh, you know, I'd like to do a 10-minute documentary on you. Well, it turned out to be 73 minutes plus. You know, And that's how it began. So I didn't hear from him for about six months. And one day he showed up at WQED and said, well, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I got a little grant from the university and I'd like to start. So that's how it started. And so it it talks about many of the things we've talked about exactly. today. Exactly. Yes. And there are some of my co-workers who uh, give their two cents. And Mrs. Rogers is being interviewed, Joanne Rogers. And there are clips from the program. And exactly. It's almost a recap of what we're doing today. But the visuals are there too. And it, your listeners can uh, can see clips from it by going to speedyderiverymovie.com, speedyderiverymovie, all run together.com. And there are clips from it mm-hmm. if they're interested. Very good. 
We've been speaking with actor David Newell, also known as Mr. McFeely, from the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood series and a proponent of childhood education who still strives to preserve Fred Rogers' legacy. Your musical choice for us to wrap up the show today is Roberta Flack doing Won't You Be My Neighbor. Why did you choose that one? Well, probably your listeners have heard Fred sing it a lot. They've probably grown up with it, too. And I just oh, about four years ago, there was a producer who put together songs of Mr. Rogers. Each song had a different singer. And Roberta Flack sang, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I thought that would be an appropriate one to play because that's our theme song. And here's somebody else singing it. I think also why I chose it is it shows how versatile Fred's music is, that it just wasn't written for him, but other artists can take it and interpret it their way. And this is Roberta Flack's interpretation. David Newell, thank you for being with us today. May we have one last speedy delivery? Speedy delivery, Gina. (laughs) Thank you. This is Gina Asher for Profiles. Thanks for listening. The program you just heard was recorded in August of 2012. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Paskash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Mia Partlow, producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.